You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Our sermon text is um, from Zechariah 1, 1 through 6, and 14 through 20 and 21. Hear the word of the Lord. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Ida. The Lord was extremely angry with your ancestors. So tell the people, this is what the Lord of armies says. Return to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Do not be like your ancestors. The earlier prophets proclaimed to them. This is what the Lord of armies says. Turn your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not listen or pay attention to me. This is the Lord's declaration. Where are your ancestors now? And do the prophets live forever? But didn't my words and my statutes that I commanded my servants and prophets overtake your ancestors? So the, power rep- so the people repented and said, As the Lord of armies decided to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. On on that day, the words holy to the Lord will be on the bells of the horses. The pots in the houses of the Lord will be like the sprinkling basins before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord of armies. All who sacrifice will come and use the pots to cook in. And on the day, there will be no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of armies. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Good morning. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's always a joy to be able to come together and open up the scriptures. Um, If you have a Bible, you can open up to, to Zechariah. If you don't, have one. We, um, we have plenty on the uh, backs of the chairs in, in front of you. You can grab one of those. Um, if you do use that one, it's on, Zechariah starts on page 539. Um, if you're visiting with us, we've, uh, we've been going through the, the minor prophets. We're close to the end. Zechariah is the, the second last one. And um, as we've, we've seen throughout this series that, that God is always the same. Right, even um, Patrick, as he was um, preaching through Haggai last week, he was just talking about how the Lord says, I am with you. He talked about how I am is a reference back to Exodus, you know, hundreds, thousands of years before this, as, as God came to, to Moses in the burning bush, and he said, I am. Tell them, you know, Moses asked, what, what is your name? He said, I am, Yahweh. Patrick said it. It's, it could almost be translated, I will be who I will be. So we see that, that God never changes throughout the, the history of the scriptures. Even now, on this side of the cross, we look back on what Jesus did and, and we see you know, some, some clear references to Jesus in this book, you know, humble and, and riding on a donkey and um, talking about the, the one they pierced. Reminds us of, of Jesus and and because we can look back on some of these promises already fulfilled, we're able to have the hope that Zechariah wants the people of God to have. This is a, uh, 
chapter we mentioned is it's 14 chapters. It's the longest book, so we're going to be blowing and going through here. Um, it's a complicated book. There's a lot of uh, a lot of different types of things. There's a, a section here called the night visions, right? That's several chapters of one night that the Zechariah just has vision after vision. I was telling Jess about this, and it's like, the, yeah, there's a section called night visions. If you have one of these CSBs, you might have like two layers of headings, one for the initial visions and one for the night visions. I was telling Jess, and she was like, are there, are there day visions too? Like, is it just night or what's going on? It's kind of like reminds us of, of Revelation a little bit. So there's that, all those visions. There's, there's some sermons in the middle, chapter 7 and 8. You know, that's more like a Deuteronomy or, or some of the sermons in, in the Gospels or Acts. And, there's, and then there's also some, some prophecy. Chapters 9 through, through 14 are, are more classic prophecy, looking, looking forward to the, uh, the things that the Lord will do. So it's a complicated book. There's a lot of different things, but I want us to just have a simple takeaway. I want us to look at this and, and just to know that we should live for the Lord because we can trust who he is. We can trust that he will take care of us. We can trust that we have hope in him. And so therefore, we should live for him. It's a complicated book, simple message. Live for the Lord because you can trust him. The book starts with a, a call for God's people to look back on on their ancestors. Gretchen just, just read that for us. Look back on your ancestors. Repent. Return to the Lord. And then the, the visions. God wants us to show that, that we can trust him. So we want to return to the Lord. We want to trust in the Lord. And then we see the, in those sermons, we see the ramifications of, of what it looks like to live for the Lord. And so that's what we want to do. We want to return to the Lord, trust in the Lord, live for the Lord, and ultimately hope in the Lord. So those last chapters of, of looking forward at Jesus and, and looking forward to that day when everything will be holy. So as we dive in, I just want to, to pray and ask for the, the Lord to be with us this morning. Father God, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and, and sing together, worship together, read the scriptures together. Thank you for the opportunity that I have to, to study the book of Zechariah and, and prepare to, to teach it. I pray that you would open our hearts and help us to hear the truth that, that you would speak through me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so first section, re- return to the Lord. What I want us to see here is, is that we have the opportunity to, to look at those who disobeyed Look at those who have fallen from the Lord and, and repent. That's what God wants the people to do. He tells them to, to learn from the mistakes of the ancestors. You know, this is, um, you know, kind of timeline. They, um, they've been sinning and they went into exile. They were in exile for about 70 years. And, and this is after exile, about, about 20 years after. And, um, and so God wants them to, to sort of live for him. You know, the, the ancestors have been punished. So look back on, on that punishment. Know that it was deserved and live differently because of it. Verse 2, here in chapter 1, the Lord was extremely angry with their ancestors. I remember watching this um, documentary one time about, you know, kind of the archaeology of ancient Israel. It wasn't a, um, wasn't a Christian documentary, so they were 
kind of trying to skew things. And uh, this lady was like, you know, the Bible says that, that the Israelites followed Yahweh, followed the Lord, but ancient archaeology shows that they worshiped many gods. And I was like, have you, have you read the Bible? Like, the Israelites are always worshiping other gods. Like, I'm not surprised at all that archaeology shows that Israelites worshiped other gods because the Lord was extremely angry because they, they continually turned away from him, continually sinned. And so God wants them to, to return to him, to look back on, on what they had done and return to him. Verse 3 is a, just a beautiful voice or verse. Tell the people, this is what the Lord of armies says. Return to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. There's this powerful God, the Lord of armies, who says, return to me and I will return to you. When I was in seminary, uh, you know, I had a lot of academic reading. And uh, so I picked, you know, some, some fun reading. I read the Left Behind series. Uh, Number one, don't get your theology from the Left Behind series. Um, I don't want to get into two specifics. Let's talk about it. But one of the, the things I remember from, from reading that is, is these people would, would kind of encourage people to repent of their sins. And they would say that, like, you may not have a, a chance later, which is, which is true. You may die. But, but they phrased it in such a way that it was like, you need to repent now because if you repent later, maybe the Lord won't listen to you. I was like, what? That's not, that's not how it is. God is, is rich in mercy and so willing for us to, to forgive us whenever we turn to him. You think of the prodigal son, you know, that he demands his inheritance from his father and he squanders it in reckless living and he comes back and his, his father is looking for him in the distance and runs to him and embraces him. That shows how, how God loves us. We can always return to him. We're never too deep in our sin to be able to turn away from it and turn to the Lord. Return to me and I will return to you. So he wants them to repent and he wants them to to learn from their ancestors. Chapter 1, verse 4, Do not be like your ancestors. The earlier prophets proclaimed to them, this is what the Lord of armies says, Turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds but they did not listen or pay attention to me. This is the Lord's declaration. So he wants them to look back, learn from them. What did they, what did they do? What, what were their sins? What was drawing them away from the Lord? How can I learn from them? And so I want us to do that, that same kind of thing. We can, we can look at those around us, look at our, our coworkers who, who might be driven by the next promotion or driven by the money they earn or what draws them away from the Lord? How can we be different? Our neighbors, maybe trying to have the, the nicest house or, you know, look a certain way. What draws us away from the Lord? We can also learn from the scriptures. Just a simple um, simple method for you guys to, to take and, and learn from the scriptures. is It's called the sword method. You can um, you look at a passage and, and just think of two ends of a sword. Um, one side pointing to God and one side pointing to man. You just ask questions. What does this passage say about God? And you could say, um, you know, when you're, when you're asking what it says about God, you can just ask if, if he gives any commands or if he makes any promises. Is there a promise that we can, we can absorb and, and uh, find our hope in? Or is there a command that we need to obey? 
We're thinking about men. What does this passage say about man? Are there any sins in this passage that we can learn from? Are there any examples that we can follow? Just a simple kind of think about those two directions as you read the scriptures. What can I learn about God from here? What can I learn about man? We can look at even Paul, you know, he says that the Old Testament is, is written as an example for us. We can learn from the scriptures. Ultimately, we want to, to repent. So chapter 1, verse 6, the people repented and said, As the Lord of armies decided to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. This is a great example for us to follow. Just the, the acceptance here. The people repented. And they said, as the Lord of armies has decided to deal, deal with us, so he has dealt with us. God, I know that our way wasn't the right way. You know, they're, they're not pointing back at the ancestors as, as different. You know, they said, as the Lord of armies has decided to deal with us. They're taking ownership. And they're accepting what the Lord has done. As he has decided to deal with us, so he has dealt with us. God's way is the way that we want to follow. We see a great example of of true repentance in the story of Zacchaeus. You know, he's a tax collector that has has built wealth by by taking money from um, you know from his his people. And he says, as he comes to Jesus, he he says, "If I have stolen anything from anybody else, I'll pay it back fourfold." The Jewish law, you know, it it, it says if you steal something, you pay back double. So if you steal a hundred dollars from somebody, you you give them two hundred. 100 because you sold their 100 and then 100 as a, a punishment. Right? You give back double. And Zacchaeus doubles that. He says, if I stole $100 from somebody, I'm going to give them 400 True repentance. I'm not going to be a slave to money anymore. I'm not going to worry about that more than their brothers and sisters. True repentance. Compare that to you know, some politician or somebody who's just trying to save face and they give this fake apology of, you know, I'm sorry if I hurt you. Sorry if I offended you. They're not actually taking ownership of their actions. They're just worried more about PR. I want us to have true repentance. Any sin that we have, turn away from it. Return to the Lord. Know that he is willing to accept us. Return to him and he will return to us. So we repent, we return to him, and we trust him because he's trustworthy. That's what we see in these, this next section, the night visions. The Lord shows his people that they can trust him. There's a lot of ways that you can build trust. I remember um, a few weeks ago as the Atlanta Braves were, were losing in the playoffs, and it was uh, one of the worst weeks of my life. <laughs> um, they were losing. One of their pitchers, Spencer Strider, he, he pitched a pretty good game, you know, only, only gave up one or two runs, and and they were just interviewing him after the game. And he said he should have pitched better. He, he pitched well. And he said he should have done better. He should have given up zero runs. He took ownership for, for his. He didn't throw his teammates under the bus. Like, what am I supposed to do? I only gave up one run. They didn't score anything. He didn't do that. He's trying to build this, this culture of trust in the team where everybody takes ownership. And God shows time and time again throughout this that that the people can, can trust him in so many different ways. We've got this series of visions. There's, there's eight different visions. Um, we're just going to kind of 
roll through them. So this first vision, the, the horsemen, right there, they're patrolling the earth. Verse 10, these are the ones the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And then the um, angel of the Lord responded, how long, Lord of armies, will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem in these cities that you have been angry with? Verse 13, the, the Lord replied with kind and comforting words to the angel. And so the angel who's speaking with me said, the Lord of armies says, I am extremely jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. Down at verse 17, this is what the Lord of armies says, my cities will again overflow with prosperity. The Lord will once more convert, comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Just this beautiful picture of, of peace and prosperity. It's coming. The second vision, the horns and the craftsmen. These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, Jerusalem. They kind of represent the nations that, that took them and punished them. And the craftsmen come to, to terrify these horns, that, to cut them off, cut the, off the horns of the nations that raised a horn against the land of Judah. So judgment is coming for the nations. The people can, can trust God because judgment is coming for those that, that punish them. <clears throat> this third vision, the surveyor. What we see here is that, that Jerusalem is going to be so populous that won't even, the people won't even fit won't even fit in the walls. All right, verse, chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Run and tell this young man, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the number of people and livestock in it. There's, there's so many people and livestock in this city that they won't even be able to fit in the walls. But ancient cities, they had walls as, as protection. Right? They were, so if you were in a city without walls, you might be worried about attacks. But the Lord says, chapter 2, verse 5, I myself will be a wall of fire around it. I'll be the glory within it. So you don't have to worry about, about it. God will protect them. This fourth vision, the high priest and the branch. Um, you might remember us talking about chiasms a little bit. It's, it's kind of, you give a, uh, you give um, kind of an argument in a certain order and then you sort of reverse it. A lot of times they do letters like A, B, C, D, and then backwards D, C, B, A. And the middle um, is kind of the most important, the crux of it. And this, these eight visions are kind of like a chiasm where, where the fourth and the fifth are kind of the theological crux of, this, um, of these visions. And we see the high priest in the branch, this, this beautiful picture of you know, Joshua, the high priest standing there with the Lord. Satan is there, and the Lord rebukes Satan. Before Satan even has a chance to say anything, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Just imagine a, a stick that's in the fire. You know it doesn't have much time left, but, but Joshua is like a stick that's snatched out of the fire. And God replaces his, his filthy clothes. Joshua's dressed with filthy clothes. This chapter 3, verse 3. The angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. See, I have removed your iniquity from you. I will clothe you with festive robes. Let them put a clean turban on his head. You might remember from Exodus that, um, you know, the, the priestly robes are, are uh, they're just, there's a lot to them. 
right? They they have this chest piece with with jewels all along it. They've got twelve jewels on their chest, and and these robes are are kind of amazing. But in this case, they're they're filthy, and so God says, "I will replace those those filthy robes, and I'll give you new ones." This is the high priest that um, has these things coming, and then um, just the the picture in chapter three, verse verse ten of of peace and prosperity that that this represents. On that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and, and fig tree. You're not in, you're not inviting your neighbors to come over and enjoy your stuff if you're in the middle of a war. If you don't have anything, if you don't have a house or a vine or a fig tree, you can't invite people over to sit under it, right? And so this this peace and prosperity that this represents that you're just kind of relaxing under the vine, under the fig tree. Come over and sit around my fire pit. Come over and enjoy my barbecue. Right, the, the prosperity and, and peace that that represents. God shows them that this is coming and that's what they can trust him in. This fifth vision, the gold lampstand, this is a um, just a, a picture of the temple is going to be rebuilt. Um, talked about Zerubbabel and uh, the book of Haggai. All right, so chapter 4, verse, verse 8, Zerubbabel's hands have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will complete it. So the temple that they have started, started to build, God says they will, they will complete it. They will finish it. And so in 4 and 5, um, these, these visions, you see the, the way that um, the high priest and the king are both kind of, um, you know, both kind of restored to all that they should be. The, the priest and the king, God is kind of restoring Israel in this, um, in this big way. So the high priest is saved, the temple will be rebuilt, and then justice is, is coming. Iniquity leaves the land. So the sixth vision, the flying scroll, we see here that, um, that those who are, are, um, thieves or liars, those who swear falsely, they will be punished. Up until now, they hadn't been, but chapter 5, verse 7, it will, this, this flag scroll will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It will stay inside his house and destroy it, along with the temper, timbers and stones. So justice is coming. And then the seventh vision, the woman in the basket shows that iniquity is is leaving the land. This is their iniquity, it says in chapter 5, verse 6. A lead cover was lifted. There was a woman sitting inside the basket. He said, this is wickedness. And he shoved her down in the basket and pushed the weight over its opening. And then I looked up and saw two women approaching with the wind in their wings. Their wings were like those of a stork. They lifted up the basket between earth and sky. And so they, they take iniquity out of the land. So justice is coming. Sin is, is leaving. In this eighth vision, the chariots shows that, that they're at peace again. The chariots are um, patrolling the earth, and it says, chapter 6, verse, verse 8, See those going to the land of the north have pacified my spirit in the northern land. Northern land is, is where they were in exile, right? And so the army is, is leaving the land of God's people, and it's going to the nations, showing that they... That peace is there. And then this last half of 
chapter 6, the crowning of the branch. This is this beautiful picture where they're intermingling kind of high priest and, and king where, you know, it says make a, a make, take silver and gold and make a crown and place it on the hand of Joshua the high priest. So there's the high priest and he's got a crown. He's like the king. And it kind of points to, points to Jesus as, as Jesus is our priest. He made a way for us to come to God as our priest. He's also our king. That we're able to know that he is on the throne and he is the one whose name is exalted above every name. So all these visions, so many different things happening here, but, but we can see that we can trust the Lord. We can look at his promises and know that he will come through. So we repent, we turn to the Lord, we trust him, and then we live for him. So chapter 7 and 8, we see this. Um, we see in these chapters that the way that we live our life in all areas of our life matters. And that's what leads to true fulfillment. So chapter 7, verse 2 now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer, Regamelech, and their men to plead for the Lord's favor, asking the priests who were at the house of the Lord of Armies, should we mourn and fast in the fifth month as we have done these many years? So while they were in exile, they kind of set up this, this fast, you know, trying to receive the Lord's favor to, to get out of exile, right? And so they're saying, like, okay, now we're, we're done with exile, so... Do we need to keep doing this fast or, or should we just kind of move on? And the Lord says that like even when you were doing that fast, you weren't, you weren't really doing it for me. Right, chapter 7, verse 5. Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and lamented in the fifth and seventh month for these 70 years, did you really fast for me? When you eat and drink, don't you eat and drink simply for yourselves? Right, so, so they're not really getting credit for the fasting because they're, they're doing it selfishly. They're not doing it for the Lord's sake. They're doing it for their sake. Their lives don't match up with how they should be living. Chapter 7, verse 9. These, these commands, the Lord of Armies says this, Make fair decisions. Show faithful love and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the resident alien or the poor. Do not plot evil in your hearts against one another. But they refused to pay attention. They turned a stubborn shoulder. They closed their ears so they couldn't hear. They made their hearts like a rock so as to not obey the law or the word that the Lord of Armies had sent by his spirit. So they're asking about fasting, but, but their hearts are, are like rocks. They're hard. Their shoulders are, are stubborn. They close their ears so they can't hear. Their lives don't, don't line up with what they should be. They're not truly following the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 14 is, is a little bit depressing. I scattered them with a windstorm over all the nations that had not known them, and the land that was left desolate behind them. No one coming or going. They turned a pleasant land into a desolation. So they're asking about fasting, but, but God says, like, their hearts were far from me. I turned their land into desolation. That disobedience led to this desolation, de destruction, right? But 
didn't stay that way. That's not the end. Chapter 8, verse 3, the Lord says this, I will return to Zion, live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of armies will be called the holy mountain. Down in verse 7, the Lord of armies says this, I will save my people from the land of the east and the land of the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be their faithful and righteous God. They will be my people and I will be their faithful and righteous God. So that's what they have coming for them. They will be my people and I will be their faithful and righteous God. And so God calls them to to live accordingly. Down in verse 16 of chapter 8, these are the things you must do. Speak truth to one another. Make true and sound decisions within your city gates. Do not plot evil in your hearts against your neighbor. Do not love perjury, for I hate all of this. These are the kind of people you should be. The kind of people that, that speak truth. They make true and sound decisions. They don't plot evil against their neighbor. They don't love perjury. But their lives should represent the God that they represent. Right? Chad and I went to a... Uh, a conference with North Carolina Baptists this past week, and we were at this um, at this panel thing, and one of the guys was was talking about how we need to make sure that our our lives are united around the gospel and not in any kind of political side of things. And so he was given an example of two families in his church that that were political, right? So he said that one one of the families had their kids and and pride shirts. And another family had, um, <clears throat> the dad was drinking out of a mug that, that said leftist tears on it. And so both of these families had, were more, you know, more driven by their politics than the gospel. Right, we don't want to, to be d- defined by our sexuality, our identity, right? We don't want to, um, for that to be our identity. We, we want to call people who might feel that way to that our identity is in Christ. It's not in our sexuality. God gives us a better way to live. And we also don't want to be the kind of person who, you know, wants to drink out of a mug. This is leftist tears. And wants people to, leftists to be seen as their enemies. Right? And you want them to cry and you want to make fun of them for that. Both of those are, are wrong. One of the other people in that panel, you know, he heard that story and he says, why do you have people with pride shirts in your church? And he didn't say anything about the mug. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be focused on one side that we ignore the other side. We want to be people who speak truth in all areas. Make true and sound decisions in, in all areas that we don't have blind spots of sin. We don't want to be checking all the boxes of fasting at the right times or coming to church every time, every Sunday and reading the Bible every day, but, but with hearts like a rock, right? So ask the Lord to, to soften your heart and, and open your ears to hear how he speaks, that our lives can can line up with, with his way. These last verses of, 
of chapter 8 are just this beautiful picture of, of the nations coming to Jerusalem. They're flocking. The fast of the, this is um, chapter 8, verse 19, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, they will become times of joy, gladness, and cheerful festivals in the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Peoples will yet come, the residents of many cities. Down to verse 23, this is such a picture. In those days, ten men from nations of every language will grab the robe of a Jewish man tightly, urging, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. There's people flocking to, to Jerusalem because they have heard that God is with them. Those times of, of fasting become times of feasting, times of, of celebration. And everybody that hears about it wants to be part of it. So I want to encourage you just to, to tell others that God is with you. Right? Who, who is grabbing onto your robe because they heard that God is with you? There's a book called The, the Art of Neighboring that... Um, it, it helps you kind of think systematically about your neighbor, your neighborhood, right? It says, imagine your house like the center of a tic-tac-toe grid. You have your houses across the street, your next-door neighbors, houses behind you. I know many of our neighborhoods aren't set up so grid-like, but just imagine the, the people around you. It helps you kind of think systematically about the houses around you. And, and then just kind of ask yourself, what do you know about those people? Or do you know the names? Of everybody around you? Do you know what they do? Do you know their hopes and desires? Do you know their struggles? God has placed you in a in a neighborhood, in a certain place. He's placed you in your, your jobs and your classes. There are people around you that you can think systematically about of what do I know about these people? How can I truly care for them? We live in a society that is profoundly lonely in a lot of ways. People go to work and they put on this front, they talk about work or the weather or sports. They come back home, they don't talk to anybody, put on a front on social media, binge watch TV shows, order DoorDash and they don't talk to anybody because the food just shows up on their door. People are profoundly lonely. Nobody cares that their mom got diagnosed with cancer. Nobody cares that their dog died. They don't have anybody to tell that to. And so God has placed us in, in areas where we can truly show that we care. could be just simple, asking questions. Sort of try to fill out that tic-tac-toe board, right? When people are, are faced with, with struggles and and problems and suffering. They're looking for hope. And we have God with us. Right? And so let's let's have our robes close to people that that they can grab onto. And say, We have heard that God is with you. So we're called to to live for the Lord because of what he what he's done for us. And ultimately we have hope have hope in the Lord and who we are on, on this side of the cross we've been able to see some of these things come true already 
And so our hope is, is even stronger. Peter says in um, 2 Peter chapter 1, you know, he talks about the experience that he, he had standing with Jesus on the mountain as Jesus was transfigured. He says, you know, he heard, he heard God's voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he says that, that we have the prophetic word strongly confirmed just like that. Like, we can trust these words here. We can trust these just as much as if we heard a word audibly. We have the prophetic word strongly confirmed because no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this hope that we see in these, these last six chapters of, of Zechariah is, um, is just beautiful, and it's, it's secure. Right? I remember watching... Um, NBA Finals, a, uh, last year, 2022, um, Golden State Warriors versus Boston Celtics, game six, Warriors were up three to two, if they won this game, they won the series, they won the championship, there's about a minute left, Warriors are up by 15, there's no way the Celtics are coming back, their championship is secure, right, and so Steph Curry's got the ball and he's dribbling hard because he's pumped, and they're just kind of coasting to the finish because they're because the championship is in their hands. It's secure. And we have our hope just that secure. We've been able to see some of these prophecies that Zechariah made. We've been able to see them come true in, in Jesus. You just you can kind of like skim through the headers of, of these sections and you can just see the hope just dripping in this book. Judgment of Zion's enemies. The coming of Zion's king. The Lord restores his people. Judah's security. God's people cleansed. The Lord's triumph and reign. I was looking at a, um, another Bible I had at the house. The Lord will appear. The Lord will care for Judah. The Lord comes and reigns. God is working. He's judging enemies. He's reigning. He's restoring his people. He's caring for his people. We see in um, chapter 9, verse 9, Micah referenced it earlier, the, just this, this picture of Jesus. As we, if you know the Gospels, if you know the stories of Jesus, you read chapter 9, verse 9, and you're like, oh, I remember this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Like, I, I remember that story. Jesus, Palm Sunday, he came in. Hosanna to the highest. My kids know that story. I remember that. I know that this has come true. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus came, and, and Jesus came riding in on a donkey, and we know that. But, like uh, Micah said as he was introducing one of those songs, that um, Jesus didn't just come in, in triumph, right? He didn't come as a as a worldly king looking for, you know, worldly glory, looking for people to bow to him and for him to get rich or anything like that. He came as a suffering king. So that's what we see in, in another promise, chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David, the residents of Jerusalem. They will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. On Good Friday, as, as Jesus was on the cross, you know, Friday, 
is uh, right before the Sabbath. And so as, as they're killed on Friday, they, they wanted to make sure that those on the cross were, were fully dead in time for them to be able to get them off before the Sabbath. And so they were going to, um, this is a little gruesome, but it's, it's the crucifixion. Um, you know, they're, they're nailed to the cross, and what they do is they suffocate because they can't hold themselves up. They just get weaker and weaker. They can't hold themselves up, and they, they suffocate. And so to speed that up, they were going to break their legs so they couldn't push themselves up to breathe. They came to Jesus, and he was already dead. They didn't need to break his legs. And just to double check, just to make sure, they, they pierced his side, took a spear and put it in his, his side, and blood and water flowed. As John was telling that story, he, he said that, that that piercing was this promise coming true. They will look on me whom they pierced. Jesus is on the cross, the one they pierced. It's coming through. We were able to, to look back at, at these prophecies and we know that so much of this is, has come true. And that's the foundation for our hope. So much of it has already come true. So these last verses in, in chapter 14 that the Gretchen read earlier, we can know that these will come true because, because we can trust the rest of this book. So these last couple of verses, on that day, the words holy to the Lord will be on the bells of the horses. The pots in the house of the Lord will be like sprinkling basins before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of armies. All who sacrifice will come and use the pots to cook in. On that day, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of armies. Everything here is holy. The bells of the horses, the pots, and the pans, every single pot in all of Jerusalem and all of Judah is holy. We were talking in our small group last week about, you know, this kind of visual in, in Haggai where, where he's like, if you have some consecrated meat and it touches other stuff, does it make that other stuff holy? No, it doesn't. Holiness doesn't spread like that. It's not like, you know, COVID in March of 2020 that just spreading everywhere. Holiness isn't like that. And so for everything in Jerusalem and Judah to be holy, it's because God has made it all holy. Just imagine the, the priests that, like, they're, their job, they're so worried about which of my pots is, is holy, which ones are defiled, which ones can I sacrifice with. They don't have to worry about that. Everything is holy. And that's what we have to look forward to. Everything. Holy to the Lord. Our hope is secure in Jesus. Jesus came. He was in heaven. He gave up that that time where where there's no suffering, no brokenness. He came to this world, lived his life among us, dwelt among us, faced suffering, faced death, faced disease. He never veered off his mission. He lived his whole life without sinning. And he made a way for us to be able to return to the Lord. The Lord will forgive us because he has punished our sins in Christ. So we can return to him, we can trust him, we can hope in him, and we should live for him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for, 
your love for us. Thank you for the way that you speak to us.